Oof. Oof. That's good. How can you not be excited to open up the Word of God after that, right? Wow. Join me, if you would, in Luke chapter 24. We read the resurrection story from Luke 24 this morning already. If you look at Luke 24, it's, a, it's one of the longer chapters. We're not going to read uh, the entire chapter this morning, but we're going to talk about the entire chapter this morning because Luke 24 has got to be one of the coolest, one of the coolest chapters in all the Bible. See, we, we read the resurrection story, but there's actually two other events. So there's three scenes in this one chapter, and, and, and these three scenes happen with different people in different places, but these three scenes follow the same pattern. In each group or in each scene of Luke 24, you find a group of Jesus followers who had heard him say, I'm going to die but three days later, I'll rise again. Each of these three groups heard that. But the actions of each of these three groups kind of show us that they thought he was dead in the tomb. And yet there's this miraculous appearance to each of these three groups. And then Jesus reveals himself to each of these three groups. And after that happens, someone from each group runs to tell someone. It's so cool. Three scenes, exact same pattern, different places, and different people. To think about what we've already read in the resurrection, right? There's, there's devoted followers of Jesus who heard Jesus say, I'm going to die, but then three days later rise again. Because the angel said, remember what he told you? And then we read it said they remembered his words. Remember we read that. And then there's this miraculous appearance. To the, to the women at the tomb, it was... It was an angel, but don't forget that the Gospel of John tells us that in that garden tomb, Jesus appeared to them because they thought he was the gardener. And he reveals himself to them by saying, Mary. As soon as they have that revelation of who Jesus is, they run to tell someone. And, and so we've read the resurrection story. So those from the resurrection story are running to tell those in the second scene. Who's in the second scene? The apostles. I'm sorry. The disciples. Two disciples, two disciples of Jesus are going to be leaving the city of Jerusalem because they figure he's in the tomb. And Jesus makes this miraculous appearance to them, and they don't recognize it's him, and then they, they do all of a sudden realize it's him when he reveals himself, and they run to go tell the apostles. So let's read. It's, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a lengthy read. There's about 20 verses here. But we're going to read from verse 13 all the way down through verse number 33 of Luke chapter 24. It's one scene, one story. It's one of my favorite in all the Bible. Verse 13, that very day, now remember, this falls on the heels of the resurrection. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, um, what is this conversation that you are holding with e each other as you walk? And they stood still, 
looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered to him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And, and he said to them, What things? That's <laughs> so funny. And they said to him, Well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes. And besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. This is one of my favorite passages in, in all of the Bible because I always am overwhelmed when we get to the point where Jesus takes their scriptures, he takes, takes their Old Testament and he reveals to them how that whole Old Testament pointed to him. That is the word interpreting the word. How much cooler does that get? Well, but we, we have this pattern, right? The pattern of, of doubting people believing Jesus is in the tomb. They're actually going home from Jerusalem, Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified, home where Emmaus is, where their home is, because they've given up hope. It's over. We thought he was the one. Obviously not. Jesus comes and they don't recognize him. But when he sits and breaks bread, they, oh, it's Jesus. And, and he wasn't breaking bread. It wasn't communion because they hadn't started the Lord's Supper yet. This is just Jesus sitting with them. But in the breaking of bread, their eyes were open. And as soon as that happens, he vanishes and they return to Jerusalem. That's where they just left. Why are they going back? Because now they have a message to tell. And that message is he's alive. He's alive. We, we thought he was the one to redeem Israel. Maybe he is, because he's alive. 
And who do they tell? The apostles. The guys who spent years with Jesus, doing life with Jesus. Who saw him, well, feed the multitudes with a few bread and some fish. Who watched him walk on water and, and, and cleanse the lepers and, and raise the dead. Those guys that were with him when on three occasions he said, as plain as can be, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. The chief priests are going to take me. They're going to kill me. But on the third day, I'll rise again. They heard him say that. But these guys on that third day are there. They're hiding. So these two disciples run in. They're like, we got some news. It's the second time. The second time the apostles have heard this today. Because the women told them earlier in the day, the tomb's empty. Now they got these two other disciples running in and saying, we've seen them. And while this group is talking, Jesus appears. It's so cool. You got to read the rest of the chapters today when you get a chance. But then when they see Jesus, they, they, they're not excited to see him. They're scared. They think he's a ghost. And he's like, come touch me. Give me some food to eat. I'll show you that I'm real. When he reveals himself to them, they go to tell. Who do they tell? This is where it gets really cool. They, well, they take the message of the resurrection and, well, they go tell the Jews in Jerusalem and they go tell the Jews of Judea and they go tell the Gentiles of Samaria and they go with that message that Jesus is alive to the ends of the world and we are gathered here today because of Luke 24. We now have the story. Who do we tell? Ah, this message of the resurrection. It's what our faith is built on. That's why Paul said, if, if Christ be not raised, your faith is futile. The resurrection, if it didn't happen, everything we're gathering for today crumbles. It is, it's worthless. I love this chapter, but, but I want to take the chapter, I want to take the pattern of the chapter, and I want to try to overlay it to our lives today. As we, well, some might be doubters. Some might be like, man, I don't see him. I miss him. I, I don't. Some may be wondering, ah. Let's take, let's take these three scenes of Luke 24. And let's, let's add our scene. And let's talk about why we should celebrate the risen Messiah. First, may we rejoice in the completing love of the risen Messiah. The completing love. And here's why I say that. See, each of these groups had heard Jesus speak of his coming death and his resurrection. But none of them were there. Like, there wasn't even one of the disciples that's like, I, I, I just, I just got to see for myself. There wasn't one of the followers of Jesus that was sitting there at the most incredible, defining moment in the history of the world. No one was there. This is after three solid years of spending time with Jesus, knowing he's a miracle worker. And clearly,
literally, and I mean, it's, it's so clear in the, in the Gospel of Mark. We read the stories, where, where we read the, the, the place last week, we read it last week, where Jesus so clearly says, hey, listen, so we're going to Jerusalem. He knows where he's going. I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests, which that happened. And they're going to hand me over to the, to the Roman, to, to the Gentiles, and they're going, to, they're going to find me guilty and sentence me to death. They're going to beat me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to flog me, and then they're going to kill me. All of that took place, just as he said. But he also went on to say, and three days later, I will rise again. And three days later, just as he said, he rose again. And no one was there. Like, I, I don't know, but like, if I'm Jesus, I'm kind of staying in there with my hands on my hips. Like, guys, I told you. And then, I, I, again, this is, this is me. This is my personality. I, I, I would be like, I'm going to wait for those losers Come apologize to me for not believing that I was going to do exactly what I told them I was going to do. That's me. That's what my heart wants to do. That is not who our Jesus is. He goes to each of these groups. He goes to the women who were going to anoint his dead body. He goes to these disciples who were going home and giving up. He goes to his apostles who were huddled in fear. None of them were there. They all heard the message, but Jesus doesn't walk away from them because of their doubt. He goes to them and he fills in the gaps of their doubt by saying, touch me. Let me open up the word. Let me show you that it's really me. I will complete your incomplete picture of me. And I'm going to do it through my love by pursuing those who have given up on me. I, I, I read that and I, I, my mind cannot help but think that is exactly what Jesus is doing today. See, Jesus is not looking for perfect followers because he doesn't have any. He'd be all alone if he was looking for perfect followers. But through his love, his, his willingness, his passion, his love, he is looking to perfect his followers. He's the one that does the completing. He's the one that does the perfecting. And he does it through a love that says, you have an incomplete picture of me, so let me come to you and reveal myself. This is who I am. And we're like, wow. And haven't we all in our faith journey grown to get a greater and greater and greater and greater picture of Jesus and that is why I cannot wait till our eyes feast on him and we truly see him as he really is and then every gap of disbelief will be filled in every doubt is going to be completed you think of the apostle Paul right what does Jesus say to the apostle Paul the man where he stops him, he says, Paul, or Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? Well, persecuting Jesus. He, he, was, he was fighting the church, and remember, the church is the body of Christ, and Jesus says to Saul, why are you persecuting me? He, he doesn't come with anger. He comes with love, and he begins to complete the picture that Saul had of Jesus, because Saul was a Jew, so his picture of the Messiah, you've got to think through this in the Jewish days, the picture of the Messiah was one blessed by God, was one adored by God, was one beloved by God, was one 
who was accepted by God. That's who the Messiah would be in Paul's mind. He knew the Old Testament scriptures, and Jesus comes along, and he's crucified. <laughs> the Messiah is to be loved. You, you were rejected. The Messiah is to be accepted. You were abandoned. Your very words from the cross were, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You can't be loved by God because everyone who hangs from a tree is cursed. You can't be the Messiah. This is what the Messiah is and should be. This is who you are. Jesus comes to Saul and he's like, let me show you who I really am. And as he begins to pull the layers off Saul's eyes, he begins to see, you really, truly are the Messiah. And if the Messiah was loved by God, why were you hated? If the Messiah was to be accepted by God, why were you abandoned? And he realized, if you are the Messiah, you had to be abandoned and cursed on behalf of someone else because you are loved by God. And Jesus completes the picture of Paul that the Messiah is both the king of Isaiah and the suffering servant of Isaiah. What is what happens to Saul? Goes to tell. Persecutor becomes the preacher. The murderer becomes the missionary. Because of the completing love of our risen Messiah. So what he wants to do with us you don't have to be perfect to receive the love of Jesus into your life. You just have to admit that you're not. Number two, may we rejoice in the faithful presence of the risen Messiah. See, in each of these three groups, Jesus was there, but they did not recognize him. Think through that. He was there, but they didn't recognize him. Have you ever said, where are you, God? How could you leave me like this? Why would you abandon me now? And I'll promise you, if you have never said those words, the day will come where you would feel like that. This week, I sat in the living room of a, of a couple, and none of you, I think, in here would know, none of you would know, but a couple here in our community. And the wife had lost her mother that morning, and I walked in and she gave me a hug because I had performed the funeral for their 26-year-old daughter in January. A daughter who had died of cancer. She sat, I sat down on the couch and she looked at me with big tears in her eyes. She just, she wasn't mad and she wasn't angry, but she just said, like, why? Where, where is God? And I don't know if she's a believer or not. But I said, you know, let me, let me show you something really cool. We have a book of the Bible where people ask that question all the time. And I took her to one of my favorite chapters, Psalm 77, where the, where the author begins by saying, I cried to God with my voice. And then he went on to say that I cannot, I cannot close my eyes. I mean, I can't sleep. The grief is so overwhelming me. I'm trying now to speak and I have no words to say. And that grief turns into accusation against God. 
I want to read you some verses from Psalm 77 from the New Living Translation. It just it brings it right down to us. This, this is what it says. Has the Lord rejected me forever? The psalmist says this. Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Has his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door? On his compassion And I showed her those verses And I said you see it's okay To ask those questions We find people doing it and God Decided to put those words in his Word But what we have to know is It doesn't end there See the chapter will Continue and the psalmist will go Through a, a word called selah A pause and he's going to stop Accusing God he's going to pause then he's going to reflect. And he's going to, as a Jew, he's going to go all the way back to, to when his people were in bondage and slavery in Egypt and how God delivered them from their slavery, how he saved them by opening the Red Sea, how they wandered the wilderness. And when they were hungry, he provided manna. When they were thirsty, he gave them water out of a rock. He brought them into the promised land. He conquered their enemies and he gave them rest. And as he began to recount what God has done in his past, he begins to realize, the psalmist does, what I'm facing right now will one day be my past and I will look back and see how God brought me through. What that means is today I can praise him because he's here even though I don't see him. And the psalmist later on in Psalm 77 asks this question, no longer an accusation. He now asks the question, who is as great as our God? That's why when we go through difficult moments, it's okay to, to start with those initial questions like, God, where are you? Why are you? What's going on? But, but we have to come to a point where we realize our present circumstances will one day be the past, and we will have a chance to look back and see how God was faithful through it all and when he was there I simply didn't recognize his presence but what the resurrection says is he is here because he is alive and what his word says is he is with me because he declared to my own I will never leave you nor forsake you even if you can't see me the resurrection proves I'm alive and my word says I'm with you so take it to the bank so we rejoice in the faithful presence of our risen Messiah. And third, may we rejoice in the saving work of our risen Messiah. Now, I don't want to take for granted that every single person here knows all about the Easter story and, and you understand why it was so hard for people to believe Jesus could actually come back from the dead. They didn't just watch him die. They watched him be brutally murdered that day. This wasn't just someone who got killed. This was someone who was beaten and bloodied and broken. They saw the spear piercing his side and the water and the blood come flowing out. He suffered a violent death. But the reason he experienced such a death is because he knew it was our only way to the Father. Like, I say this regularly, but... but Eternal life is not living forever. 
John chapter 17, verse 3, out of the words of Jesus himself, he says, eternal life is knowing God and his son whom he sent, Jesus Christ. Eternal life is knowing the Father and the Son. And if eternal life is knowing the Father and the Son, Jesus, when he said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What Jesus was saying is, I am the only way to the Father, and the only way for you to get to the Father is for me to be broken. I have regular spiritual conversations with with people in our community and I love it and, and one question I always try to get to at some point is hey if God were to meet you outside the gates of heaven one day and ask you why should I let you in my kingdom how would you answer that I asked that question this week to someone and they gave me the answer that I regularly get well, I know, I know I'm not perfect, but I really try to be a good person. I always, man, I compliment them. I'm so glad we have people concerned about living a good and moral life. I love that. But can I ask you a question? If you can get to heaven by living a good and moral life, why did Jesus have to die? Uh, Tim Keller tells the story. He said, well, sometimes people look at the cross and say, well, the cross is just God's symbol of love. And he said, okay, okay let, let, me, let me ask you this. If, if, our, if my house, oh, forgive me, Aaron, for using this, this illustration I didn't think, but if my house is on fire and I tell somebody that, hey, my family's inside and someone goes running into that burning building as the firemen carry out my children and my wife still alive but he still runs into that burning building and dies what's the point he said however if i tell someone my, my house is on fire and there's family in there and someone goes in and gives their life to save my own, I will sit back and say, what love? And we have to understand, Jesus didn't just go to the cross because he's a good guy and he loves us. He went to the cross because it was the only way of salvation for the world. He had to suffer the wrath of the Son of God because we cannot get to God on our own. Paul says it wisely. He talks about the word mercy in Titus chapter 3. He says, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. You know this, many of you, but maybe you don't. Mercy means we don't get what we deserve. We don't get what we deserve. What do we deserve? Well, we deserve punishment for our sins. And mercy says, you won't receive the punishment for your sins. But then he goes on in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul will say this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that one, no one may boast. He says you're saved through mercy, but you're also saved through grace. What's grace? Grace is receiving something I don't deserve. Mercy, I don't receive what I do deserve. Grace, I do receive something I don't deserve. And what's the grace? Well, I just want to show you one more verse because it, like, it ties it all together. 
2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, God took Jesus who knew no sin and he made him sin. Why? For our sake. So that he would receive what we deserve. But then, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus takes our sin and suffers the wrath of our sin. But then he hands us his perfect righteousness and says, you don't deserve this. Here's my grace. You can have this. Not only will I take your sin, but I will give you my perfect righteousness. That's the saving work of Jesus. And it's actually kind of cool because in Luke chapter 24, in Luke 24, Jesus is walking with these two disciples on this road to their house. He gets to their house. They open, they, they sit down. And, and here, Jesus went completely against custom. When you were to walk in someone's house, they served you. Notice in these verses, who served who? Luke 24, verse 30 says, When he was at the table with them, he took the bread. It was their table and their bread, and he took the bread. <laughs> and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And when he gave it to them, it was in that movement of him serving them, not them serving him. In the movement of him serving them, their eyes were open to who he was. But then look at the last sentence. And he vanished from their sight. No, no, could you imagine this? They just now realized it's Jesus and boom, he's gone. But, 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 but we had questions for you. We don't understand. You, 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 you were, um, you, you went in the, you're, you're now, we have so many questions, but Jesus just vanishes. Why, why would he vanish? Oh, because he left them something special. He left them new eyes to see the scriptures, new eyes to see him in the scriptures. So Jesus wasn't gone. Now they knew where to find him. But he also left them with his spirit. Oh, it's so great. J.D. Greer makes the statement, the spirit inside of you is better than the Jesus beside you. Wait, wait, wait. How could anything be better than the Jesus beside you? Well, because I could walk away and Jesus could go down that road and I could go down that road. But with the spirit inside of me, I never get away. He's always with me. So he gave them eyes to see himself in the scriptures and he gave them the spirit of God. Man, he's always with us. Finally and last, may we rejoice in that spirit-filled power of our risen Messiah. Here's, here's why it's so good that Jesus gave those who believe in him his spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the capital S spirit of God, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, so the spirit is what gave Jesus life, the spirit of God gave the son of God life, who raised Jesus from the dead, if it dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Oh, it's so good that not only did he open up their eyes so we can see Jesus whenever we want, 
and that the Spirit goes with us wherever we go. But because the Spirit's inside of us, the same Spirit that gave Jesus life is going to one day give our mortal bodies life. So just as Jesus resurrected from the dead, we have the hope and the promise. Because the Spirit of God is in us, we will one day rise. And that is so important because who wants to think that when this, world, this life ends, it's over? What is most valuable to you in this world? Well, the relationships with the people whom we do life with. Do, you really, do we really want it to be that as soon as this life's over, those relationships are overdone? When the casket closes for the final time, that's it? No. No, and that, that's what makes what Paul said. In 1 Corinthians 15, such good news. If Christ is crucified and resurrected, then, then those who have gone before, well, they have hope because Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of all who are to come. He is the first resurrected body that will have eternal life, but there is a harvest to come. All of those who died in Christ will one day through the Spirit of God have life come back to their mortal bodies. That means those, those of your loved ones who have gone on before, if they were in Christ and if you're in Christ, you will enjoy eternity in one another's presence beholding the glory of God. It doesn't end here because of the resurrection. Five times I got to serve as, a, serve as a youth pastor for 11 years. And five times in those 11 years, I attended a funeral of a, of a teenager from the youth group where I served. Once, I was actually in the hospital when the mom and dad arrived to the news that their 16-year-old daughter had suddenly and tragically passed away. I sat in the waiting room while they made that long walk down the hospital hallway to see their, their daughter's body. And there, was, of course, was mourning and grief and weeping and sadness and heartache. But this couple, there was also like a confident peace. Hard to explain. There was a resolve because as I, as I rode with them from the hospital back, uh, away from the hospital, that dad leaned over and put his hand on my knee. And a dad who just walked out of the presence of this lifeless body of his 16-year-old daughter, I'll never forget, he put his hand on my knee and he looked at me and he said, Brian, it's okay. I left nothing unsaid. She knew I loved her. And I know she loved me. And right now, she's with Jesus. There will be a day I will go to both of them. How does, how does he know his daughter's with Jesus? How does he know that he'll be able to go to her again one day? There's only one answer. Because of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Because he lives, we can live. Because he lives, 
we have hope. The resurrection of Jesus is the hope for all believers that this life is not the end. So that same spirit-filled power is now in us, and so who do we go tell? You say, I'm a, I'm a doubter. That's okay. His completing love will, will one day fill in all those gaps. I question whether Jesus, whether God's even with me during this time. It's, his faithful presence is there. It's, it's promised if you're a believer. I just want to encourage, if you're trying to save yourself, that's never going to happen. That only comes through the saving work of Jesus Christ. So, as we close, I, I just have to address because I don't know everyone in this room and your relationship with Jesus Christ and if you have never had a moment in your life where you have have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ what he has done for you let me just briefly share how you can have the same resurrection hope you have to know who Jesus is he's the eternal creator he always existed he created man who turned in rebellion to and left ourselves under the judgment of God for our sins. But Jesus humbled himself and as God came and lived a perfect life, he was, he was born to a very specific person named Mary. He lived in a specific town called Bethlehem. He walked the streets of Jerusalem and he never one time sinned. And since he was a man who never sinned, he was perfect substitute for men who have sinned but because he was God he would also be able to res resurrect his life from the grave after offering it as a sacrifice he rose from the grave he ascended back to heaven and he sits at the right hand of the throne of God right now awaiting his return that's who Jesus is you have to know that but then when you see who Jesus is, you realize who you are. If he's the king, you're not the king. If he's the savior, you can't save yourself. And if he's perfect, you're not. <laughs> and it's this glimpse of Jesus, who he is. And when we look in the mirror, we see who we are. This is where the goodness of Jesus comes in. And he says, in my love, I will come to you. I will reveal myself to you and I will give you my spirit then tell others that's what Jesus wants to do for every single person if you're here today and you've never seen who Jesus is and who you are and what Jesus has done for you as your only hope to the Father oh may today be the day where you place your saving faith Jesus pray with me Oh, we praise you, Jesus. We, we praise you for who you are. But what joy as we celebrate the resurrection. And Lord, for those who are believers in this room today, Lord, I pray that those who are believers, that our faith is strengthened in who you are, that we have, that courage comes for us to be able to go and tell. That we rejoice in your perfect and completing love your presence that is always with us and the spirit that you have given to us 
Lord, may that just excite our hearts all over again to go and tell others. But Father, if there's anyone here today who would have to admit, you know, I, I've actually thought I was a pretty good person trying to work my way to heaven. I knew I wasn't perfect. I knew Jesus died on the cross, but I, I've never turned to his finished work on the cross and his resurrection as being for me and as my only way to the Father. And if that's you today, I would love to encourage you. You don't get saved. You don't receive the Spirit by, by praying a prayer. It's by a cry of the heart that simply recognizes, Jesus, I see who you are. And Jesus, I see who I am. Oh, Jesus, I recognize I need you. Without you, I will die apart from the Father. And I'll die for my sin. Your death on the cross will be in vain for me. If you're here today and you've never done that, man, I would just love to encourage you. May your heart cry out with just words similar to this. Lord, I see you as, as Lord and Savior. As the perfect one the sinless one. I see myself as the sinner. And I want that exchange. Not, not so that I could have heaven one day, but so that I could have you today. I want that exchange. Jesus, take my sin. Jesus, your righteousness. You become my Lord. My savior and I follow you and I tell who you want me to tell I share with whom you want me to share as I become in Christ if that's you today and you made that decision to be awesome to share that with somebody tell them that you made that decision to become in Christ today because now you have the spirit with you he's working resurrection power in you no matter what the rest of your life holds, he'll be with you. He will love you. One day when this body gives out, he will raise from the grave when he returns. That's such good news. Lord, we love you and we praise you for who you are. May this day be a day all about our Jesus because it is Jesus and Jesus alone who saves Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me? We'll close with the song, Jesus Saves.